Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. 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 Na'ahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'afiruhu wa nu'minu bihi wa natawakalu alayh. Wa na'udhu billahi min shuroori anfusina wa min sayyati amalina. Ma yahdihillahu falamudillalah. Ma yudlilhu falamudillalah. Wa nashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Wa nashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh. وصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فنأذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وقال الله تعالى في القرآن الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اصبروا وصابروا ورابطوا واتقوا الله لعلكم تفلحون صدق الله عليكم my beloved brothers and sisters, we praise Allah, we thank Allah, we praise, we thank, we lovingly appreciate Allah, and thus we say, Alhamdulillah. Nahmaduhu, we praise, we thank, we lovingly appreciate Him. Wanasta'inuhu, we seek His help. Wanastaghfiruhu, we seek His forgiveness. We believe in Him and we trust and rely upon Him. And we seek refuge with Allah from the wrong within ourselves and the wrong actions in our actions. And whomever Allah guides, none can misguide. And whomever Allah lets astray, none can guide. And we bear witness that there is no ilah but Allah. There is no master but Allah. We are servants to none but Allah. And there is no God but Allah. And we seek from Allah to shower his blessings upon his servant and messenger. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and many more and many more. And as is the case every single week, I ask you the same question that I ask every single week, and that is for you and I to take a look at ourselves and ask ourselves what is changing. When I'm making this question every single week, obviously the focus is on our personal transformation, meaning of all the different responsibilities I have, the less I focus on transformation, the less I will be able to fix or work to fix or serve issues in my society, in my community, etc. But also related to the question of personal transformation is remaining aware of what is going on in our society. Because, for example, if we were to go through each of our understandings of Islam, I would suggest that we're probably going to find that much of what we know is not relevant to our day-to-day -day life. Yeah, there's the core beliefs, there's the core acts of worship, and then scattered sets of rules about this or that, but it is not providing me with something that guides me on how to get through life, except in the basics that everybody has. Speak the truth, keep your promises, treat others like you want to be treated yourself, all of these different things. And the point I'm making is that Islam, as many of us practice it, as many of us understand it, is very, very irrelevant to the lives that we live. A question that I received quite a bit this past week related to this question is, does the Quran privilege men? Now, if you and I remove context, if we remove history, then I would take it a step further, that it, it privileges Arabs. And the obvious reason being, because it's in Arabic. And so the follow-up question would be, can it function successfully outside of that original context? Because not only does it privilege Arabs, it privileges men, but not only does it privilege Arab men, it privileges Arab men from the year 610. 
from 1400 years ago. Those are a different breed of Arab than what we have today. But that becomes the question. The fact that we have a billion and a half of us by itself is an argument that, yeah, it can be completely relevant in different eras. But the responsibility that I have for my and your generation is the same responsibility that you have for your and the next generation, which is to figure out how to make it relevant, to figure out how to, it would operate yeah, on this run this side. To figure out how it would operate in, I can do that in Bayan, I can't do that in a uh, It would operate in any context. But see the point that I'm suggesting. This is your responsibility to figure out for your generation and your kids' generation. Otherwise, what is the end result going to be? A whole lot of memorization of stuff that doesn't really benefit you. May benefit you in the Akhira may not benefit you as much in the dunya. So when we're asking this question of what is changing, part of the focus is on transformation, part of the focus is on relevance. And then what is actually changing in our society? The push for impeachment is getting louder and louder, and some of you heard from me a feeling that I had for the first time in three years, nearly three years, that from the moment of the election back in 2016, I was 100% convinced that you and I, at some point, would be rounded up into camps. Of course, we already see that happening with various populations, populations and such. But last Friday was the first time in three or two and a half years where I finally started thinking, maybe that won't happen. Because now, finally, the rule of law is being implemented against the president. That's not to say that the people who are implementing the rule of law towards impeachment are that much better, but the point is that there is some actual law and order taking place. So it's hopeful, but bring it closer to home. Same question I ask you every single time. Look at your relationships, look at the time you spend with your friends, look at the time you spend with your family and how you consider your family. And when you're with your friends and family, are you doing things that bring you closer to Allah Ta'ala or are you doing things that bring you away from Allah Ta'ala? That is totally your responsibility. We can use all kinds of excuses for everything else, like I don't know what to do about the water in Flint or I don't know what to do about, about white supremacy or I don't know what to do regarding the Me Too movement. But the simple point about the time that you spend with your friends is in your control. And I say it over and over again, I have to say it again this week, that sometimes some of us fall into toxic circles where nothing of benefit comes out and a whole lot of destruction comes out. And so be very conscious of the time you're spending with whomever. And if you see it going in a wrong direction, steer it in the right direction. Really that simple. You know the narrative, you know the metaphor, we've said it many, many times, that you are to your friends like what? Like a perfume salesperson or a blacksmith. That you spend time with a perfume salesperson, what's going to happen? You're going to start smelling really good. If you spend time with a blacksmith, you will be covered in soot. That is the influence you have on your friends, that is the influence your friends have on you. And so, Marshall, really high number of thobes today. So in any case, continuing bringing it even closer to home. Once again, the core question, and that is the what is the condition of Iman 
in your heart? What is the relationship that you have with Allah in your heart? Especially in this phase of the semester where you really start getting piled on with midterms and papers and the stress starts taking control. Am I going to get this done? How am I going to get this done? How much sleep am I going to have? What am I going to eat? So forth and so on over the course of these weeks. And I'm saying from experience, the more Iman you have in your heart, the more Sakina, tranquility, you will have in your heart with the same struggles that everybody else has. But that is a choice. So once again, emphasizing what you have choice to control. So let's add to this the question of health. So as many of you know, when someone's coming to the office with complaints about anxiety, with complaints about depression, or this or that, the first question I often ask is what? What is the condition of your sleep? What is the condition of your food? Third question after those first two is what is the condition of your prayers? And so in this period of time, try especially hard to have consistency in your sleep. Obviously, I mean, I was talking to another one of your, your, your schoolmates just before Juma, who was talking about how he had an all-nighter on Monday, and then on Tuesday night, or, Mon or all Sunday night, he had an all-nighter, then Monday night, he only slept for two hours, trying to get all of his work done, got almost all of it done. And that is going to happen sometimes in your college life, sometimes because you have that much schoolwork, sometimes because you've procrastinated that long, and sometimes because somehow you've decided you have nothing better to do except to stay awake and pretend like you're being productive. So, one advice is try your best at least to make your sleep consistent. The more inconsistent your sleep is, the more anxiety is going to be out of control. It doesn't mean that if your sleep is stable, you're not going to have anxiety, but it does mean if your sleep is not stable, you will have much more. If you're experiencing depression, if your sleep is not under control, your depression is going to be much more inflamed. That's a fact. But let's apply it to the time of the Prophet, may peace be upon him. Many of you know the story that one companion decided that out of piety, out of service to Allah, he is going to pray all night. Now let's take a step back and speak about our Tahajjud prayers. That one of, one of the narrations that I love quoting, what I love hearing, that I love reading, is where the Prophet wasallam says that Churaka, in my mosque, and the numbers vary, but the point is still the same, are equal to 100,000 of your normal prayers. And then Turaka, done in the Haram in Mecca, in front of the Kaaba, are equal to 200,000 of your normal prayers. Those of us who have other prayers, do the math to catch up. But then, the prayers that are done on the battlefield, no, I am not calling you to go join the battlefield, but the prayers that are done on the battlefield are equal to a thousand thousand of your normal prayers, a million. But more valuable than all of those is the prayer that is done in the middle of the night in your home. So we're saying the Hajjud prayers are more valuable than those on the battlefield, that are though, than those that are done right in front of the Kaaba itself. And so this companion decided that is what he's going to do all night. And then another companion decides... What am I going to do? Let's build on this. 
Pray all night and fast all day. Pray all night, every night, fast all day, every day. And you and I know what the Prophet wasallam said when he got wind of this, he called them in. Is this true that this is what you're planning to do? Yes, stop it. Because what did he say? Your body has rights over you. Your family has rights over you. So forth and so on. And so we do not increase our iman by going extremist, even in prayers. There's almost nothing better that you and I can do than our daily prayers, and using this example, than our nightly prayers. But even that can also be something that is wrong. So back to the point of sleep. Try to keep your sleep as stable as possible. But again, yes, sometimes you're gonna have all-nighters. Likewise for your diet. When the sleep is unstable, then it becomes easier to munch nonsense. I mean, sometimes I wonder if half of my whole being is flaming hot Cheetos, right? <laughs> but the point being that try especially to be conscious of this and to really, really make this point. Yeah, I'm looking at some of you guys. I was probably thinner than every single one of you when I was an underage, except maybe you still are. You gotta, gotta build some muscle. <laughs> anyway, so, so the point being, my beloved brothers and sisters, is your iman will be affected by not necessarily your physical condition, but how you treat your body. Because we know that the Prophet, peace be upon him, used to get sick. We know that when he got sick, he got sicker than everyone else. We know that there are many people of high iman that might have very, very serious diseases. I've made points in the past about one of my teachers who every day, three times a day, his abridged medicine intake was a fistful of pills because he had throat cancer, he had stomach cancer, he had another problem with his shoulder, he had another problem with his knees and stuff, and then when he'd take all these pills, he'd immediately start gagging. And he was a, he was a big teacher, he used to pray all of his prayers rock solid, he used to pray the Hajj rock solid, so I'm saying, your physical condition is not telling you what the condition of your Iman, but the way you treat your body is an indication of the condition of your Iman. Two different things. But again, to repeat the point, to hammer it in, the more unstable these things are, the more they will inflame things like anxiety and depression. The more stable they are, they won't cure anxiety or depression, but they will also prevent it from going out of control. And then we have the issue of mental health. One thing that makes me very happy about your age group, which is not as accurate for those that are just a little bit older than you, and those who are just a little bit older than them, and those who are just a little bit older than them, that when students would come to my office and I tell them that they need to go to the wellness center, older students in the past years would either say no, or I don't want to, or it's a waste of my time, or I don't like answering questions and such. But many more of you, when I'm asking you to go to the wellness center, actually do go. Mental health is an absolute real thing. With many of us, we've already discussed that <coughs> When you're being told your anxiety will be cured if you pray more, that's just the wrong cure for the wrong sickness. Or your depression will be cured if you pray more or if you recite Quran more, that is the wrong cure for the wrong sickness. And so mental health is a real thing. The need for mental health is higher if you have a smaller circle of friends or if your circle of friends is not as healthy or if you don't have as strong of a relationship with your family, or if you have the experience of trauma. I've mentioned many times that I wish I could figure out a way 
where I could share all the conversations that take place in my office for one reason that all of you could see that everybody is carrying heavy, heavy duty burdens. Sometimes things from before their lives as college students. Huge, huge experiences of abuse in the lives of many of your peers. Huge, huge experiences of family dysfunction in the lives of many of your peers. I wish I could share that with each of you so that each of you could also see that you are not alone in the struggles that you go through. I mean, I've been doing this work long enough, but I'm also old enough that I assume anybody who uh, I run into, anybody who's walking through this building, regardless of their age, is carrying huge, huge things. I mean, even all many of you who've even come to my office, you know this, and I'm saying this is also probably true of the person who is sitting next to you, and it's probably true of the people who are in the other side of this room. So mental health is a very real thing, including medications. The problem with medications is that sometimes some of, the, some of uh, uh, these careers turn not into psychotherapy, but they turn into psychopharmacy and just passing these out as a way to bypass therapy. But the point is, these are real things. And the last thing, of course, is your spiritual health, which is at the heart of all of this. One is the, the health of your body, one is the health of your mind, and the spiritual health is the health of your spiritual heart. And the thing to focus on is to not fall into nifak. The thing to focus on is to not fall into hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is a very easy thing to fall into. And the first element to look at when we look at all the depictions of hypocrites in the Quran, and literally it's so important that Allah Ta'ala talks about it as soon as page three of the Quran itself. That the hypocrites you see over and over again, they don't control their tongues and they're always talking about themselves. Now, I don't want you to start thinking of other people, yeah, that's just like this person. No, the point is to look at yourself. How much of your consciousness is focused solely on yourself. And thus, one of the cures for hypocrisy is to serve others. One of the cures for hypocrisy is to give to others. Because what is happening, at one level, you're shifting your focus from yourself to someone else. That in itself is a cure for hypocrisy. Meaning, in fact, in fact, giving and giving and giving. So if you're giving of money or you're giving of time, you're shifting the focus away from you to the person you're giving to. And so this is also part of the fun of the Arabic language. One of the cures for shirk is shukr, right? Just rearrange the letters. And one of the cures for nifaq is infaq. That's some of the fun stuff. So what am I saying? Let's pay attention, special attention to your physical health, your mental health, and last, your spiritual health. And on the spiritual health, saying be very, very conscious of hypocrisy. To the point that a true believer believes of themselves to be a hypocrite. Why? Because they pay close attention to all their shortcomings. Whereas a hypocrite already considers himself to be a true believer or doesn't take their sins or their flaws all that seriously. So with that, 
I remind you what Allah Ta'ala says about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the Quran. In Allah Malaikatu Saluna Alan Nabi. Ya ayyuhaladina amanu salu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. We will make prayers upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the actual khutbah wa akhri da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Who wants to give the Adhan? Sajid. <laughs>